was a young boy, about eight or nine years old, and he spent a lot of time with his grandfather, and his grandfather was a World War II veteran, and he was all about uh, an old series from HBO called Band of Brothers, and uh, the grandpa was just all about it, and the little boy just kind of got all about it as well, because Papa was, and so he watched the movie and heard the stories from his grandpa about the 101st Airborne Division and how they were the paratroopers that dropped in on Normandy the night before the invasion. And those guys marched all the way across, across the Rhine, and they were in the business of Nazi killing, and cousin business was booming. Uh, these were some heroic guys. And there was a, a ceremony over in Fort Campbell where the 101st Air Attack Division was, was graduating. And uh, the grandfather said, hey, buddy, you want to go, go to the service with me, this graduation service? He said, yeah, 101st, absolutely. So he goes there at uh, Fort Campbell, Kentucky, and sees all the pomp and all the circumstances and all the all the the, uh, the fancy dress and all that good stuff. And he keeps looking, seeing if he can see any of those guys that were in World War II. You know, the fault that because you know they're 101st Airborne. Uh, and afterwards, uh, his, his grandpa uh, looked at him. He said, "So, son, what do you think?" He said, "Well, we're all the guys. Where were all the guys that did all the fighting?" He said, "Well, buddy, they're either dead or retired or." Some of them fell in battle. And he said, well, Dad, none of the, he says, Papa, none of these people were in the, the battles there in, in, in Germany? He said, no. He said, these guys might have fought in Afghanistan or maybe Iraq. But what happens, uh, buddy, is as, the, as people leave and as people pass, they have to get new recruits. And it's those new recruits that come in and replenish the ranks. And he said, that's the way it's been going on for 70 years. Church, in a, in a way, that's kind of the way we are as a church. Um, we, we're here because of new recruits. We're here because of new converts. We're here because people get saved. And, and the truth is the church is kind of struggling right now um, to put it in that same illustration. We, you know, we have, we're down with enlistment numbers, if you will. We're not recruiting anybody. Um, and I think a part of the reason why the church is struggling is, yes, it's that. But it's also, I think there's friendly fire in the church that can happen. Uh, somebody says something to you or somebody gives you the stink eye or somebody does something and it just kind of rubs you wrong. Uh, but the church itself, that's, that's the way we've grown for, for 2,000 years, the new recruit thing. What we're seeing is that people get mad or they get their feelings hurt and they just leave the church. They leave, they, they leave the ranks. And that's becoming more and, and more of a problem. Uh, nobody's taking their place. When you look at the church, I mean, the church has always had trouble. When you look at the New Testament, there, every letter that was written to a church, I mean, there was something jacked up that was going on there. Uh, the Corinthian church, they were divided over leadership. The Galatian church and the Colossia church, uh, they were tearing each other up. Uh, Ephesus and uh, another church, Paul said, you guys got to work on unity. You guys got to fight for unity in your body. There was a couple of ladies in Philippi who had a personal argument between them two. And those two ladies, that fight was so intense in the book of Philippians, it actually divided the church. So that one little conflict in between those two ladies just kind of jacked up everything. Um, and you expect fighting in, in a church. You expect fighting in a family. I, you know, I just said it. Uh, people fight in a church. I'm sorry, but that's the way it is. People fight in families, so they're going to fight it when they get into this family, this koinonia, this fellowship uh, of a church. And, and, sometimes those, and sometimes those conflicts break families up. Those are called church splits, and when they happen in your home, they call them divorce. But that happens even um, in the church. And if you don't leave because you got your feelings hurt, then, then what will tend to happen is, you know, if, if you're in a conflict, you got a beef with somebody down there at the church, it's just 
it's easier to make up your mind not to go that Sunday because you don't feel like putting up with it. You don't, you don't, you know, you don't have the energy. I mean, so that friendly fire concept, it, it does translate over into the church. Uh, maybe you feel like you come here and people judge you. You know, they'll say, well, you know, I'm afraid people will say don't, I don't act very Christian. Lots of times that's just a, a way of saying they don't act very Baptist, okay? Uh, because not all Christians act Baptist and Baptists don't act like all Christians. It's just a different thing. So you kind of feel weird coming in because, you, you know, you, you feel judged or you feel whatever. Uh, in the Roman church that we're going to be looking at today, uh, there, was a, there was a beef. There was a problem. Uh, it wasn't over beef. It was actually after, it was, it was over pork. Uh, some people at the church thought that it was okay to eat pork, meat, doesn't matter if it was offered to idols or gods, you know, if it was cheap and on sale, it's good. Um, but there was also a group in that church who, they didn't touch pork, they didn't touch bratwurst, they didn't touch catfish, poor boys, they didn't touch shrimp, poor boys, uh, because they grew, up in, they grew up Jewish. So they had this whole big thing of, of dietary laws. Uh, let me help you understand that. Uh, you ever buy Hebrew national hot dogs? You got to take out a loan to get those things, okay? They are high, but they are they, they are made to exacting standards. Uh, they're they are butchered kosher, uh, by uh, by kosher means. Uh, if you're a Jew, you can have that beef hot dog, that Hebrew national hot dog. But if you would if you would cook up some Oscar Mayer 99 cent things or Bar S, they wouldn't touch them because it has pork in it. So at that church, there were people who were saying, oh, we got to have Hebrew national hot dogs. And I said, dude, get these 88 cent per pack, you know. And so there was this kind of a, a fight within there. The, the folks who were Jewish said, you guys don't have very strong faith because you'll eat anything you want. And then the guys who were eating anything they want, they look over to the Jews and they'll say, well, you guys are messed up. We've got Jesus. We're saved by grace. What are you worried about? Just eat this bratwurst and shut up. Um, so there was all this going on. And the argument it wasn't a big deal. It was about worship times, and it was about what time of what day they have service on, and and what kind of food they eat. This wasn't this wasn't underwear related. This wasn't personality related. This was just a small issue, but Paul addressed it. Now I do know that you know the Bible doesn't address everything. There's there's some areas in the Bible that are just gray. Uh, we we just we, we're going to have to make up our own mind. Uh, now, I think we can get those principles from the Scripture. We can seek the Spirit. We can pray, and God can reveal to us in those gray areas. And we're going to talk about that, in fact, a whole lot next week. But I feel like I have to really put this platform down because what I'm going to give you next week, it'll either set you free or set you on edge because we're talking about Christian freedom. So I have to give you this platform. Uh, our personal freedom in Christ, personal freedom, personal liberty in Christ, it's never to be used. And some of you say, well, Mike, I've never heard that. You know that song we sing, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. What are we free from? You know, okay. So we're going to be looking about what does it mean to be free in Christ? What's it mean to have that liberty in Jesus? Our personal freedom in Christ, by the way, it's never, 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 never an excuse to blatantly sin. It's never an excuse to, to go against God's word. Our liberty as a Christian is never an excuse to go against the will uh, of God. Uh, there are some issues in the Bible that are black and white. There are some issues that are cut and dry, right or wrong. They're not complicated, but there are complicated things. There are things we just don't know about. They're in the gray area. So how do people with different views, different convictions coexist in the same church? How do the people there in Rome who were coming in from a background of paganism and then others coming from a background of legalistic Judaism, how did those two people get along in the same building? In the same koinonia, 
in the same church. That's what I want to look at because they were arguing about gray areas. So I want to look at that. Romans 14, if you have your Bible or if you want to turn it on. Romans 14 emphasizes how we are to act towards weaker faith brothers and sisters or less lit faith brothers and sisters. Um, who don't have as much freedom as you do, who don't have as much liberty as you do. Um, how do how do you get along in a church? Because we're assuming that everyone in the church has been surrendered to Jesus. We're born again Christians, uh, but we're surrendering from different backgrounds. Some of us grew up in church, and when we got saved, we were already in church. So we we have all this tradition coming with us. Some of us got saved, and we've never been to a church. We've never we've never been to a, a, a fellowship. We don't we don't know the first thing about the Bible. We don't know anything about the Old Testament or the New Testament. Dietary laws, you don't know nothing about that. You don't know anything about that. All you know is Jesus. That's enough. That's enough. But when we're looking about how do we get along in the church when we do come from different backgrounds, where what's okay for me may not be okay for you, and what's okay for you may not be okay for me. How do we deal with that? Some Jewish Christians were there in the church, and they became vegetarians. They became vegans. They said, man, we're not even going to meet. We don't want you guys sneaking in some of that bratwurst for us. And so some of the Jewish Christians would rather become vegetarian as compared to run the risk of eating non-kosher, unclean meat. Uh, The Jewish Christians went vegan while the Christians without all the baggage of Judaism thought they were nuts for turning down a barbecue sandwich. You know, you're nuts for turning down a brat. So with that junk, that conflict, let's go into the text. Romans 14, verse 1 through 9. And I'm going to tell you what, man, last night... This is, a, this is a different message. I've never preached Romans 14 before now. And I will be honest with you, this whole text has, has uh, it's wrecked me. Uh, so just follow me. Accept, uh, accept other believers. This is Paul talking to that church, the bratwurst eaters and the non-bratwurst eaters. Accept other believers who are weak in faith. Church, say weak in faith. Weak in faith. And don't argue with them about what they think is right and wrong. And by the way, those two groups. There was the weak in faith, and we got to assume the strong in faith. Which group do you think Paul assigned the word weak to? The bratwurst eaters or the non-bratwurst eaters? He was calling the Jews the weak faith. And I, the way I remember this, Kuhner, is this. You can either rely upon God in a weak way or a strong way. If I'm relying on him in a strong way, then I'm then I'm saying that my salvation is totally based upon God, not me. The only thing I brought to the transaction was my sin. So I strongly believe that God is in charge of my salvation. He gave it to me. He's keeping it, and he'll never, he'll never let it go. The weak faith is saying, God needs my help. i got to be good. i got to do this. i got to dot all my I's. i got to cross all my T's. i got to da 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 That's who he's calling weak. We'll go on. Verse 2. Uh, for instance, one person believes that it's all right to eat anything. Pagans. Uh, the, Jew, the folks coming from the Gentile background, they got saved. But another believer has a sensitive conscience and will only eat vegetables. Remember, I told you they went vegan. That was the Jews that came out of a Jewish background. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. So he's saying, Gentiles, don't look down on the Jews because they won't eat a bratwurst. And those who eat certain foods must not, con- and those who don't eat the bratwurst must, must not condemn those who do eat the bratwurst. Why? Because God's okay with either one of them. 
Because God has accepted them. Now, if you enjoy liberty in God, if you enjoy the freedom of the Lord, you cannot despise somebody else because they don't have the same freedom you do. Or because they don't have the same liberty in Christ that you are taking. Now, those who have conscious scruples must not, you can't despise another Christian because they're doing something you don't do. Because that's a two-way street. You see, a believer's faith may be weak. A believer's faith may be immature. A believer's faith might be confused. It might be underdeveloped. But they're welcome in the church. The, Jew, the Jewish Christian, Paul, Paul didn't say, well, you need to leave the church and go find another church. He didn't tell the Gentile Christian who came from a background of nothing. Uh, or or the, here's the background they came out. I'll tell you. Uh, pagans were nasty. There was all kinds of debauchery going down in their temples, you know. They'd go down there, pay $20 to a temple prostitute, get their freak on, and that was their worship service. They saw that as a way to please God. Then they'd go home. Where would you go? I just went down to church. No, you went down to the temple and you prayed to prostitute $20. But that was their religious background. And when they got saved, they're bringing that in there with them. Y'all, it was a tough gig. And so when these Gentiles in there and the Jews came in there and they, they, they came together just in the realization that Jesus is the only way to salvation and now they have all these other things. The Jews are saying to be a good Christian you have to do all this. And the pagans were saying are you crazy? We got Jesus. It all ends and begins with him. Church. What was on the menu at that church wasn't the only thing that brought divisions. Look at this. Verse 5. In the same way some think one day is more holy than the other. This goes back to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. The Jews start their Sabbath on Friday night at sunset. The Gentiles, they don't have that in their background. They're going to go to church on Sunday. In the same way, some think that one day is more holy than the other, while others think every day is alike. You should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. There's not a right or wrong. Find the day, keep it holy. It's between you and God. Those who worship the Lord on a special day do it to honor Him. The Jews were worshiping God on Friday, and the reason they were doing it, well, they're doing it to honor God. You go down the very next verse. Those who eat, uh, the, uh, you should be fully convinced. Those who worship the Lord on a special day do it to honor to Him. Those who eat bratwurst do it to honor the Lord, since they give thanks to God before they eat. And those who refuse to eat certain food, they're vegan, they also want to please God. And guess what? They say grace over their same food. So what Paul is saying is whether you, eat, whether you eat bratwurst or whether you don't, pray and give glory to God and go on with your day. God accepts them both. Listen to, listen to this. This is verse 7. For we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live, we do it to honor God. If we die, we do it to honor God. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and rose again for this very purpose, to be Lord, both of the living and the dead. Church, the Lord is your Lord, not only when you leave this terrestrial plane, but Jesus is Lord of your life also right now. When I'm alive and when I'm dead, Jesus is still Lord over my life. God isn't pleased with us because we don't eat pork. God's not pleased with us just because we're pro-life. God's not pleased with us just because we vote a certain way. God's not pleased with us just because we, we come to church or we're involved in a ministry. Uh, God's not just pleased with us because we do all these things that we think Christians do. He's not just pleased with us because we're Americans or we take care of our family. Church, the only reason God has to be pleased with you and me is Jesus. Yeah. That's it. It's nothing I do, nothing I say, nowhere I go, none of that stuff. The only good in me, Cooner, is Jesus. That's it. 
The pagan Christians got it because they came from a, a, a background of temple prostitution. Nobody even told them prostitution was bad. They didn't even know that. So when they came to Jesus, all they had was Jesus. And you know what Paul said? It's enough. That's all you need. It begins and starts with him. Now, Christian, uh, you know, if God has a tattoo, it doesn't mean that, um, if you have a tattoo, it doesn't mean God doesn't love you. If you have a piercing, it doesn't mean God doesn't love you. If you have a gauge, it doesn't mean God doesn't love you. If you've been divorced, it doesn't mean God doesn't love you. It doesn't mean you don't have a place in the, in the family of God. Church, to say that people uh, are bad Christians because they do things that you wouldn't do and say things you wouldn't say, I want to be honest with you, it kind of sounds like judgment. This is what, this is verse 4. Guys, I'm just, re- this is Re- uh, Romans chapter 14, verse 4. I'm taking this thing just verse by verse. Who are you to condemn someone else's servants? Who are you? And by the way, the whole idea is that you and I are both slaves to Jesus. So what does one slave have any business doing judging another slave? I don't own them and they don't own me. The Lord is Lord of both of us. Who are you to condemn someone else's servants? They are responsible to the Lord, so let, let, let God judge whether they're right or wrong. And with the Lord's help, they'll do what's right and they'll receive His approval. Every Christian is a servant of Jesus. And it's to Jesus that we all have to stand before and give our account. We have no business judging somebody else's kids. In the congregation there, the Koinonia, they were all believers, but they came from a lot of different backgrounds. And they, their, their main thing was, how do you live a Christian life after you get saved? Do you have to honor, do you have to go to church on Friday? Do you have to wear a yarmulke? Do you have to wear a talit? Do you have to observe the dietary laws? In the congregation, they were all these believers but there were a lot of different ideas on how to live out their Christian life. This is Romans 13, verse 8. Remember how I told you I, I'll, I'll look at the text I want to preach and I'll read the chapter before it and the chapter after it. This is the chapter before this. Because I, I don't want you to think that just because you're saved, anything goes. It doesn't. I would, I would not be doing right by you to tell you that. These are, this is a list. This is in Romans 13. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't cover. Whatever other commandments there may be are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. He's talking to the church still. The Romans and the Jews, Christians. He's talking to them and he's saying, hey guys, when you come here, make sure you love people. You, just, you can't act any way you want. You can't, you can't do whatever you want. You've got to love people when you get here. Same, I'm going to give you another text. Same author, different church, same advice. Colossians 3, verse 1. I'm not going to read all the text to you. Uh, but chapter 3, verse 1. Since you were raised from the dead with Christ, aim at what's in heaven where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. So, put all evil things out of your life. Sexual sinning, doing evil, letting evil thoughts control you. Wanting things that are evil and greed. This is really serving a false God. And these are the things that makes God angry. Again, these are people who've been saved by grace, but Paul's still saying it doesn't mean that you live however you want. You're a Christian. You're taking on the qualities and the attributes of Jesus. Verse 8, great money shot. But now also put these things out of your life. 
anger, bad temper, doing or saying things that hurt others, using evil words when you talk, don't lie to each other. You left your old sinful life and the things you did before. So when you become a Christian, you, we, 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 we just can't say, oh, and I'm saved, I can, I can do whatever, live however, because I'm saved by grace, Jesus is Lord, died on the cross, I said the prayer, walked the aisle, got baptized. Oh man, it's all good now. That's not what Paul's saying. He's saying there are some things that you do as a Christian to show your, your witness. Now, there, is some, there are some behaviors in a church that you just got to deal with. I'm going to show you a passage that lots of folks didn't know last night. It's in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul's talking to this church. And look what the Bible says. Paul says, dude, I can hardly believe the stuff I'm hearing about the sexual immorality going on among you, among your church. Now, Corinth was a town that they had, a, they had the, uh, the temple of Diana or something. And literally, uh, they came out of the background of, of going to the temple prostitute, coming uh, back to church, and that's, that's their background. They have a very wonky background. I can hardly believe what I hear. I am told that there's a man in your church living in sin with his what? There's a man who is sleeping with his... Can I have a collective... You are so proud of yourselves, but you should be mourning in sorrow and shame, and you should remove this man from your, your fellowship, your koinonia. Get him out of there. Even though I'm not with you in person, I'm with you in spirit, and as though I uh, were there, I've already passed judgment on this man in the name of the Lord Jesus. You must call a meeting of the church. I will, pre- I will be present with you in the spirit, and so will the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then you must throw this man out and hand him over to Satan so that his sinful nature will be destroyed, and he himself uh, will be saved on the day of the Lord when he returns. Look in verse 7. Uh, I'm sorry, I'll, I'll pick up 6. You're boasting about this is terrible. They're bragging, I guess. Don't you realize that this sin is like a little yeast that spreads throughout the whole batch of dough? One person is sinning because he's sleeping with his mom, and you guys are okay with it, so it distributes itself throughout the whole congregation. Everybody's okay with it. Not everything goes to church. Not everything goes. One of the growing problems the church is facing today is this frightening rise of sexual immorality within the church. I mean, daggum, you can't go a week or so without hearing about some, some leader in the church who, you know, got involved with some underwear issue or, or, or sleeping with somebody or running off with, with, with his secretary or going into homosexuality. I mean, it doesn't take long. Uh, every couple of weeks you, you hear about a church that's struggling with that. Uh, and I think it's a reason that we should be properly concerned. Um, and I'm wondering, why is this happening right now? Why is this going on in this moment in the church? Uh, Paul dealt with, with a very similar problem. This dude is hooked up with his, mo- his mom or mother-in-law. If, depending on which translation you read. Either way, there's an oof uh, uh, factor there. Um, these were Greek cities. They come from a whole history of sexual immorality. They, they were used to, to freaky stuff. And they, they were used to casual acceptance of sex outside of marriage. They were used to, to sex outside of the marital relationship. That's their background. They didn't, it, didn't bo- it didn't bother them the way that it bothered the Jews because that's the way they were raised. That's the way they grew up. That's the way they, they were. In Corinth, there was a temple devoted to the worship of, of sex, the temple of Aphrodite. Um, and it was a common thing for Christians to be tempted in that area 2,000 years ago. And many of them had indulged themselves before they became Christians. But after they became Christians, they had to break off those old habits. 
Church, if we think we have difficulty in those areas, living in Randolph County today, I want you to understand something. This has been a problem for a long time. This sexual immorality thing is not a new thing. Now, what the church in Rome was dealing with, it was food and worship times. It was bratwurst and what days do we come together to have church. They weren't dealing with somebody sleeping with their mom or their stepmom. Those are two different things. You don't treat those two separate things the same way. And Paul didn't even give that advice. He's saying, hey guys, wickedness is not weakness and weakness is not wickedness. Those are apples and oranges. Y'all, there's this old saying that um, there's a danger with being so open-minded that your brains fall out of your head. I think there's a danger with being closed-minded as well. Because old thoughts can never leave and new thoughts can never get in. I think Paul was probably one of the, the, the most open and free Christians in the entire New Testament. This is what he said, and this is real. Romans 14, 4. Uh, Romans 14, 14. I know, and I'm convinced by the Lord, that, what's that word? What's unclean to him? Okay. So for Paul, nothing is unclean in itself. Man, that's a guy that knew freedom. That's a guy who knew liberty. He was saying, hey, I, I, I am free to dance. I am free to sing. I am free. There is freedom in the spirit. This is a guy who is living it. However, that does not mean that anything just went with Paul. He's not saying anything goes when it comes to that blameless, uh, blatant, shameless, unrepentant sin. What I mean is this. Paul wasn't in bondage to his freedom. Paul was not in bondage to his freedom. Brother Mike, what's that? What's that mean? This is what it sounds like. I'm a born-again Christian. I can say whatever I want to say. I'm a born-again Christian. I can do whatever I want to do. I'm a born-again Christian. I can drink whatever I want to drink, smoke whatever I want to smoke, vape whatever I want to vape, tattoo whatever I want to tattoo, pierce whatever I want to pierce, gauge whatever I want to gauge, sleep with whoever I want to sleep with, love who I want to love. I'm saved, so I'm saved by grace. Now I can do whatever I want. Or it could also sound like this. I'm a born-again Christian. I can identify any way I want. I'm a born-again Christian. I can sleep with whoever, love who I want to love. Uh, think about it. I'm a born-again Christian. I'm saved by grace. I can even love my stepmom. But I'm a Christian. That was the junk that was kind of going on then, but it's still the kind of junk that goes on in the church today. I'm saved, so I can do whatever I want to, and it's okay with God. See, you can be a slave to, to freedom. You can be in bondage to freedom. I'm going Case in point, there's a 27-year-old man who lives within four blocks of this church. Uh, about 10 years ago, we got saved in a revival meeting. Uh, had the pleasure of baptizing him. Uh, had the pleasure of, of, of being his pastor for a couple of weeks while he was coming. Every time I see him, I say, hey, man, where have you been? He said, well, man, I get busy. I work, and the kids are with me there every weekend, blah, 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 blah. And I said, well, man, why don't you come on down to church? He said, hey, dude, I appreciate you talking to me, and I appreciate the invite. But about 10 years ago, I was down at your church. Uh, I walked the aisle. I got saved. Brother Lynn was up there preaching. Uh, a couple weeks later, I got baptized. And, uh, you know, Brother Mike, I I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. Me and Jesus are good. I'm saved by grace. What do I need to do all that for? Pre preach I'm saved. I appreciate you worrying about me, but I'm okay. 
He's free. He's become a, a slave to his freedom. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I would not ever tell that man that he's lost because that ain't my job. That's right. That ain't my job. And it's not your job either. But I can tell you what, that dude told me everything that the Bible had said, saved by grace through Jesus. I don't know, I don't, I don't know that man's heart. Some of us would question his salvation and his conversion, and that is actually where we get in trouble. That's where we get in trouble. Paul's not saying that anything goes when it comes to blatant, shameless sin. What he was saying is, you know, I could go to a Jewish congregation, meet on a Friday night, I'll put on the yarmulke, I'll put on the tallit, I'll, I'll eat the, I'll eat the, 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 I'll eat the horrible fish that you have, I'll do all that, gavilta I can't, it was, it's horrible. Uh, I'll eat that, I'll do everything, and, and man, I'll, I'll, I'll come into the synagogue with you, uh, we'll blow the shofar, and we'll have a great time. And he said, I can go into that congregation, they love Jesus, and I'll look over to my Jewish brother, and I'll say, ain't Jesus good? And my, Jesus, my Jewish brother will say, he is good, and I'll just worship. He said, and then I'll go down to a Greek congregation, a Gentile congregation. I'll roll up in there, ain't nobody got on no yarmulkes, they're wearing flip-flops, Bermuda shorts, tank tops, they're out there, they got the, the guitars, they got the amps if you smell they've got bratwurst cooking on the back for after service they're going to start the service at 10 30 10 35 10 40 whenever they get there they're very organ, uh, very uh, very unorganized and so paul's saying i'm there at that church and i'll look over my my gentile brother and i'll say ain't jesus good and he'll say yeah jesus is good and we'll have a great time paul's saying i can worship in either i can worship in either congregation because it's about jesus Okay, for chuckles and grins, let's take him to 1 Corinthians 5, where Ted is working. Ted is working at the door. He's a greeter, and there are people in that church are glad to have him. He gives everybody a smile, one of the most pleasant boys you'd ever see. And uh, Paul get, comes in, gets a bullet, gets his coffee, sits down. A couple of the deacons, some of the people from the church say, Hey, man, did Paul, you came, did, did you get to see Ted? Oh, well, who's Ted? Oh, he's a door greeter. He's a great old boy. You love him. Y'all need, need to talk. He said, okay. Um, goes on reading the bulletin. Somebody up, come up to him. Hey, brother Paul, how you doing, man? I haven't seen you since Macedonia. Things going well? Good. Did you get to meet Ted? Oh, he's a greeter. He's awesome. And so about that third or fourth time, old Paul gets up from the pew, goes back to the back door, shakes hands with Ted. Shakes hands and says, hey, I'm, a, I'm Paul. I'm a guest here today. Hi, I'm Ted. I'm sleeping with my stepmom. She's teaching downstairs in one of the ministries at the church. Thank you for coming. Isn't Jesus good? You know that Paul would have had to say, dude, I'm sorry. Did you just say you're sleeping with your stepmom? And she's teaching downstairs? Paul didn't say, oh, it's all good, high five, woo-hoo. He told the church, dude, you got to do something about Ted. He didn't say do anything in Rome because that was little stuff. It was convictions. Bratwurst, what day do you meet? What time do you meet? 1 Corinthians 5, man, that's a whole other ball of wax. You don't treat both of them the same way. One you speak up about, the other one you don't have to. Now, wickedness isn't weakness, and wickedness, uh, wickedness isn't weakness, and weakness isn't wickedness. 
Y'all, we can still, we still don't see eye to eye in the church. We will judge each other's commitments. We'll judge each other's sincerity to the faith by what we do or by what we don't do. Now listen to me. It's weird going to tequilas and you walk in and the people you go to church with are like drinking a margarita. And if you only knew me, I could care less because it's a gray area. And besides that, I'm not your judge. And it's so funny to see them hide it behind the chips. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care. Because quite honestly, I can't take you to a point in the Bible where it says, don't do that. That's right. And if I did, it would be my conviction being scripture. And that's a whole other thing. That's next Sunday's sermon. I had to give you all this because I got to give you a platform to put the Christian freedom sermon on. Because if all you do is hear the Christian freedom sermon, you can give your life to Jesus. And somehow you think you're going to walk out of here. You can do whatever you want. And that's not the case. Next week, we're going to look at how we can make sure our consciences do not condemn us into thinking that our convictions are Scripture. Same chapter, by the way. Uh, Su uh, Dr. Seuss wrote a book back in 1982-84. It's called the, the Butter Battle Book. It's a little book about Ukes uh, and Zooks. Uh, there were a group of people, and the Ukes thought that you should butter your bread on the top, and the Zooks thought you should butter your bread on the bottom. Well, these people... They, they got mad at one another. Of course, there's only one way to butter your bread, and that's on the top. What kind of mental patient butters it on the bottom? The Zooks. They got in this argument. They built up a wall to separate the two people, the Ukes and the Zooks, one who butter up, one who butters down. They get into an arms race because they're going to kill each other over this. And it was a story by Zeus talking about nuclear, uh, nuclear, uh, nuclear war. But what he was saying, the point is this. It's very easy to make a matter of, pub, uh, of, of personal opinion into a cosmic significant thing that requires a call to arms. My conviction, you better get behind my conviction or we're going to fight. We often think that we're the best authority on every subject. No, we're not. God is. We are not the best authority on every subject, but God is. St. Augustine penned these words a long time ago. He said, in the church, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In love, in everything, love. Church, let's remember those words of Augustine as we seek not, uh, not to do a list, but to do a living in Christ. When we see our neighbor buttering their bread on the wrong side, Ask yourself, is it any of your business what side of the bread they butter on? Is it? If the weak faith, those who had the food in the days issues, uh, I'm done. Um, this is the worst part of the sermon because it's just true and I don't like it. You know how that whole problem in that church in Romans 14 could have been solved? If the weak faith people and the strong faith people just would have kept their convictions to themselves. They just would have shut up. And again, this wasn't the thing about sleeping with your mom. This was, this was stupid stuff. Non-essential stuff. 
stuff that didn't make a difference. There wouldn't have been a problem, but instead they chose to criticize other Christians and judge other Christians. And one group was absolutely sure the other group uh, was wrong, and that group was sure that the absolute that, that that other group was absolutely wrong. And man, they were just kept at each other's throats. And the thing is, the job is to protect the unity of the church. And sometimes that just means you you be, you be quiet. Um, Pam, if you'd come up and start playing, huh? You know, maybe you've stood in judgment of over another brother or another sister in Christ because they did something that you wouldn't do or maybe they said something you wouldn't say or they've went somewhere that you wouldn't have went and you stand in judgment over them. Now what they're doing, you couldn't, do, you couldn't go to a place in the Bible that says, aha, right there it says, thou shalt not. You can't do that. So I want you to understand there are some gray areas. And you might have some very strong convictions on what they are. But can I tell you this? Those are your convictions. Somebody else may have a different liberty or a different freedom in Christ. Now that's not to say that anything goes. Because it doesn't. But what I'm saying is, man, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And some people will enjoy that freedom. Just because somebody else is enjoying the freedom of the Lord and you're not, doesn't make them bad. I want you to think about someone that you've judged. You've stood in judgment. Maybe you said they're secular or they're liberal or they're progressive. Because they're always doing things that you don't do. Maybe you have your freedom and you judge those who practice their rich traditions of their faith or their principles. And you call them weak, call them out of touch, you call them old-fashioned. But man, that's the way they worship. That's how they get their worship on. That's how they are. Now, if that's wrong to you, be quiet. Because there's nothing in Scripture that says it's wrong. When you keep it about Jesus. Y'all, today it's time to repent of saying, God, I'm sorry I took your seat of judgment. I am nobody. I have no right to condemn anybody. I'm in the same boat they are. Literally, I'm in the same boat they are. I'm a slave too. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want you to think about maybe you've stood in judgment over those who've embraced their freedom from the law and they've embraced Christ. But yet, maybe you stand in judgment over them because they don't do this or they don't do that. Or maybe they do this and you just judge them. Man, today I've shown you some texts that you may not hear anywhere else. But y'all, I, I, I want to set you free. I want to set you free. Because there is a freedom that comes with being in Christ. There's a liberty that comes with being in Christ. And part of that beautiful blessing means we don't set in judgment over others. If I could, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet, please. Y'all, in a moment, I'm going to give you an invitation to come forward. And you don't have to linger long. You don't have to stay long. But today, if you would like to, today, if you would like to ask for forgiveness 
of a time or a situation where you stood in judgment over another brother and sister in Christ because they went against your convictions. Not scripture, your convictions. And today, you've seen the text. You saw the print. Literally, the Word of God says, who are you to judge them? Today, some of you need to confess and repent of that. I'm not asking you to do it. I'm not asking you to say anything out in front of the church. I ain't about that. That's weird. Sometimes you can, but this isn't that time. But today, if you need to, uh, if you need to seek God's face and say, God, I've, I've judged a lot of people. I had no right doing that. Had no business doing that. It's not my standard they have to live up to. But Lord, we live up to yours. I want to give you that opportunity in just a moment. Almighty God, as we come into this invitation, full of fresh revelation, not new, just fresh, Lord, I pray that what has been said and spoken in this room would penetrate our hearts as we prepare for a message about liberty and freedom in Christ. Lord God, I, I pray for those who are going to come forward to confess and repent of the time they've judged their brother and sister in Christ. Father, I pray that right now, today, would be a beginning of a new way, a new approach to getting along with our brothers and sisters in this church. And it's in Christ's name I pray. And amen. Brother Chris, what are we going to sing? I will never be the same again. Would you come this morning? Would you come this morning? Would you come this morning? Say, Lord, I've, I have judged. How can they be a Christian and do that? How can they be a Baptist and do that? How can they be saved and do that? head bowed, every eye closed. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Well, my dear friend, this morning, I'm asking you to engage in a 30-second exercise. Here's the thing. Some of you are saying, yeah, I'm guilty, but I'm not going forward. Yeah, I've engaged, but I'm not going forward. I'll make a commitment, but I'm not going forward. Daddy, that's that's the thing. When you come forward, you're making a commitment. It's more than just a decision that you're making on your heart. It's a decision that you're making in front of your brothers and sisters in Christ saying, you know what? Yep, I've messed up. No more. Yep, I've, I've read the truth. God spoke to my heart. I'm closing that door and, and I'm going to be more. I'm going to be more loving. I'm going to be more compassionate. I'm going to be more graceful. I'm going to be more uh, about the unity. So, y'all, we're, we're going to sing this thing another time. If nobody comes, I'll close the invitation after that point. But today, if you could take just 30 seconds and say, God, that was me. That was me. I was on that bus, but I'm off today, and I'm sorry I ever got on it. That bus of judgment. Lord God, I pray that you would bless this extension to the invitation. Bless those who are going to come right now, Lord. I ask this in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Here we go. I will never be. Amen. This is it. This is it. This is it. Would you come right now? This is it. People are coming. People are coming. This is it. This is it. This is it. 
Almighty God, we repent of judgment. We repent of casting uh, aught against our brother or sister in Christ for freedom of experience. God, forgive us for taking your seat. God, forgive us for taking your throne of judgment. Lord, you've accepted us the way we are. I pray that we would see others through your eyes. Darkness, burn away the child and let the flame burn to glorify your name. Lord, we thank you so much for your grace and your goodness that you've shown in this place today with your word. Lord, I pray that we would walk in the fullness of your spirit. I pray that the decisions that were made during this time of invitation, God, let them stick. Let them stick, Lord God, for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And amen. Y'all, last night we heard, uh, lots of folks said they never heard a message like that. But just so we're clear. What I showed you today was straight from the Bible you have at your house. I didn't make any of this up. You may not have read it before, but it's always been there. And uh, that doctrine of Christian liberty is so beautiful. And you're going to hear that beautiful message next week because we had to build the platform this Sunday. Uh, Y'all, we're going to take offering while we uh, sing our, our closing song. It's a little song called Holy Water. Just a beautiful song that goes with where we just were with our, uh, with our, uh, with our message. All right, y'all, let's do this thing. One, two, ready. Ready.